listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Showtime. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shajai, and today I'm talking about doggone good writing. Now, here comes my rant of the week. I love reading almost as much as I do writing. And as a nonfiction author and journalist, I pride myself on accurate research and reporting the facts. And I lose myself in great fiction. And the story pulls me into the author's world and makes me laugh out loud, weep, or gnash my teeth over the hero's angst. But folks, I got to tell you, I absolutely and positively howl and throw books across a room when a fiction author gets simple facts wrong. My pet peeve, of course, has to do with pet behavior and care issues. For example, one best-selling author's lead character, described as a vet tech, gave her search and rescue dog Tylenol to relieve the pooch's aches and pains. Yikes, I hope that poor doggy survives for the next book in the series. Now look, I'm all for including pets in the story. After all, 60% of U.S. households have cats and dogs, and women who care for the majority of pets make up the lion's share of book readers. But for dog's sake, let's get the info right. Now, my guest today has absolutely no problem getting it right. John Gilstrip is the acclaimed author of five thrillers, Six Minutes to Freedom, Scott Free, Even Stephen, At All Cost, and Nathan's Run. His books have been translated into more than 20 languages. Oh, and he's a dog lover. There's a story there you're going to want to hear. So come, sit, stay, and we'll talk dogs, writing, and research after these messages from our sponsors. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. It's time for school for you and your friends, your furry best friends. Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to TeachersPetSessions.com. Hi, this is Pia Silvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. TeachersPetSessions.com. 
coast to coast and around the world, it's All Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All Behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, this is the place for a special paparazzi treat, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm delighted to introduce thriller author John Gilstrap. Welcome to the show, John. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. First, I like folks to learn a little bit about our guest as far as their pet quotient goes. So I already know this, but would you tell listeners what pets share your love? Well, right now, unfortunately, we are sort of petless. We lost our best friend a couple of years ago. Joe, the girl dog, had been sort of the, uh, you know, when you live a, a, a writer's life, uh, there's a lot of time alone in a room. And, um, you know, there's nothing like a big, snoring, flatulent black lab to, to keep you company. So, Well, there you know, you do have to have the right, um, so to speak, aura to write. So I think the flatulence must have helped there some way. Well, it always inspires. There are some chemical weapons in my book, so it's, it's always... <laughs> Oh, that's great. Now, I, um, for folks out there listening, I met John at the International Thriller Writers Conference, Thriller Fest, this past July. And at the time, you mentioned Joe Dog and said that you were still in mourning. So you haven't adopted another dog yet. She must have made just an incredible impression on you. Uh, what was Joe Dog like? Oh, she was just a, she was a big happy black lab you know they're 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 the kinds of dogs that um nothing but perpetual love and fun and uh we had her until she was about 12 a little over 12 almost 13 and um then she got some health problems it was just very very sad towards the end and and it's you know it's the puppy days are are the great times where they're just tearing stuff up and you go and you run around and all of that but towards the end as a dog gets older i think there's great comfort in I don't know, that's when they need comfort as as much as they provide comfort. And we just had a very warm relationship. We haven't replaced her yet, uh, well, really I, because I, of the lifestyle, you know. It's, wow, another puppy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I understand that. I mean, I brought in, I think we were dogless for close to 10 years, 15 years, something like that, before we brought in my German Shepherd Magic. And he was, you know, 11 pounds when we brought him in, and he's 95 pounds now. And the seven-pound cat bosses him around. So, I mean, it's quite a commitment, but I know that what folks are interested, picture of Joe Dog is up on your guest page for the radio show so they can go over and check her out there. now. And she's featured in your latest book, The Thriller no mercy. Now, how did that come about? Well, I just, I was creating a character uh, named Jonathan Grave, who is, he's a freelance hostage rescue guy, so he's sort of an action guy, but action guys got have to have roots, and uh, Joe Dog, in, in the book, no coincidence on the name, by the way, 
she is sort of a um, a community dog that has uh, selected Jonathan Grave as the person she prefers to live with. But, you know, if she decides she wants to be someplace else, then there are other homes that she can go to. And uh, this Joe dog in the book is of the, I think she's four years old, so that uber lab age of <laughs> tearing around and licking everything and uh, just brings a lot of, I think, stability to the character's life. He, uh, yeah, because uh, I very much enjoyed the book. I read the book. I had to find out what was going on before we talked uh, here on the show. And Jonathan Grave seems to be the last person to want to have a dog, really. Now, and the way he acquired Joe Dog, is is that the way you and your Joe Dog came together? Was it just kind of a foundling? Or did you go out and actually choose her? Or did she choose actually, you? Actually, Joe's mother belonged to my brother-in-law, who had... I guess four generations, starting with Pogo, and then Pogo came Montana, and then Montana had Joe and Walnut, and then Walnut had Diesel, and then so <laughs> there's, we have we have this great family lineage uh, with, within the extended family. Wow! Will there be future appearances by Joe Dog then in the next books in the series? Oh, absolutely. She's uh, she's part of his life. She's part of the cast of characters. She'll never have a role. You know, the kinds of books I, I write, you know, the dogs can't have dialogue. and They really can't help solve right, right. Uh, solve crimes. But um, they certainly bring a lot of comfort. And, you know, the, the, the issue I face and is whether or not if the series goes on for a long period of time, you know, do, one of the great things that series authors face is do your characters get older? And, of course, uh-huh. if the dog gets older, there, there comes a point that, I don't know, I, I, don't, right. I, don't, think, I don't think you can pull, I think, I think fans would get so angry if you had a dog die. But yeah. um, it could be a very powerful moment for the character. Well, it absolutely could. I mean, you just nailed this dog. I mean, the first appearance of Joe Dog, and she does that that Labrador butt-tucked race around the room that was just priceless. And then another place where, where Jonathan can't get in the door because, well, she's asleep and being a doorstop on the other side. And that's, I think anybody that has dogs or has had labs, that really resonates with them. I think you've done a great job with this character, Jonathan Grave, who's really kind of out there and kind of a loner. To, to have this softer side. Well, thank you very much. And don't forget that Joe pushes him out of bed, too. Yes. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you also, I know that uh, Jonathan Grave grew out of your research and the writing of the nonfiction thriller Six Minutes to Freedom. Tell us how that all came about. Well, Six Minutes to Freedom is the story of a Delta Force rescue that went very, very well. In fact, it's the, only, it's the story of Kurt Muse who's the only civilian of record ever rescued by Delta Force, and it's the only book that Delta has ever cooperated in, in the production of. So I got to meet a lot of these people, and I got to tour Delta headquarters, and I just I got to see things that I, um, I really had no business seeing anymore. And what I found was a bunch of really remarkable human beings who... Um, they're not Chuck Norris's, you know? They're, they're not as... these these most highly trained military forces in the world are very peaceful men. And they're very friendly men. They're gentle men, as well as being gentlemen. But of course, they're capable of extreme violence. But that's not what they're about. What they're about is bringing a peaceful solution to a tense situation through overwhelming force. In other words, you scare the bad guys into dropping their guns and you don't have to shoot anybody. Ah. And I just like this mentality. 
that they're ultimate consummate professionals. And in doing the research with this, I realized a couple of things. First of all, they would make a terrific series character, but I didn't want to write a military thriller. That's just, that's not my sensibilities. Uh, I don't know enough about the military community overall to pull it off. But what I was struck by is in, uh, if an American citizen is kidnapped overseas, the government starts working on their rescue plan right away. If provided there's intelligence data and what have you. And if the go order is given to make this rescue, the rescue will likely be done either by Delta Force if it's on land or by the Navy SEALs if it's on sea, which is what we saw with this pirate thing just a few months ago. Right. And um, however, in the United States, on, uh, on U.S. soil, if a kidnapping happens, a hostage taking happens, the process slows down. Uh, there are warrants that have to be sought. There are... Um, court orders that, that have to be granted in order for some of the, the steps, which in the hands of Delta on foreign soil, you give the order, you go, you get the good guy out, and you leave the bad guys behind. Here, things slow down and become more cumbersome, and the press gets involved, and there's, it just becomes much more difficult. So I, I thought, wouldn't it be cool to create a character who can take that, the Delta sensibility and bring it to U.S. soil, and that's, that's so, where Jonathan Grave comes from. So he doesn't mind so much going around the law, I mean, if in, the, uh, in an effort to, to do right. Yes, he works outside the law, but he is never on the wrong side of the law, as far as he's concerned. He, he likes to think of himself as being on the side of the angels. And of course, when, um, in the opening sequence of, of uh, No Mercy, there's, there's a triple shooting in support of a rescue. So for the local police department, what they see is a triple homicide, and, right. um, and somebody has to be brought to justice for this, even though the homicide is a result of justice being brought in the first place. So there's sort of that moral amb- ambiguity that's fun to play with as well. Well, and I understand, I saw from your website, you're working on a screenplay right now of Six Minutes to Freedom. When can we expect to see that on the big screen? <laughs> Sometime after it's made. <laughs> I knew, I knew I you'd laugh at that. <laughs> Go for it, John. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's a, we, I am, in fact, working on the screenplay, and, and the uh, film's been optioned by Sesso Entertainment. And uh, so we'll see what happens. The movie industry is, there are so many moving parts and so many things have to go well with nothing going wrong. This is the seventh movie project I've been involved with, and to date, none <laughs> of them have made it to the screen. So maybe this is maybe seven, lucky seven. Lucky seven. Okay, on that note, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with John Gilstrap on more thrilling topics. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Give your dog some thought. With Dog Thoughts, it's the iPhone application that everyone's talking about. Hey, what do you think of this? A man in Davis, California says he's invented an application for the iPhone that claims it can read your dog's mind. Huh? No, it's true. I read about it on my cat's Twitter page. That's fine. Jay Leno talked about it, CBS reported on it, and now you can see what all the buzz is about. Created just for dog lovers, Dog Thoughts makes taking photos of your furry best friend more fun. Shake your dog and read his mind. On your iPhone, of course. 
take a pic of your pup, shake your phone, and watch as his thoughts appear on the screen. Does he have a bone to pick with you, or is he having a tail-wagging day? Get your Dog Thoughts iPhone app today. Just 99 cents. Go to PetLifeRadioPromotions.com. That's PetLifeRadioPromotions.com. Greetings, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. New York, the glitz, the glamour, the exciting Muttropolis, the sparkling kitty city that never sleeps. Join us each week for Pets in the City with your host, Diane West. Celebrity pet sightings, hot events, and news and reviews with the hottest movers, shakers, and tail waggers in New York. So take a bite out of the Big Apple with Pets in the City every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back. And again, speaking with best-selling thriller author John Gilstrap. John, I noticed in your bio and your website, you mentioned... You had, a long ago, you had a goal of becoming an investigative reporter or journalist like Woodard and Bernstein. That's uh, right. Yeah, so do you approach your fiction that same way with research up front, or do you write the story first and then plug the holes when you need facts and you go in? What's the process? What do you do? The first thing I do is outline where I think the story needs to go. The, the beginning and the middle and the end, especially with a big emphasis on the end, because as a thriller writer, for me, if I don't know where the story is going, I can't possibly take it there in the most efficient route. And then once you do that, for me, it's plainly obvious where I need to do the research. And then it's either you make the phone calls or you go online or you do whatever you, you have to do to, uh, to make yourself smart in the areas that you're missing. You know, I'm not a gun guy. Uh, I've never been a gun guy, but my characters are, are gun people. So clearly I have to do a lot of research on that sort of thing. But I've also found that you know, research can become a crutch. Uh-huh. Uh, research is fun. Research can be an excuse not to do the hard thing, which is actually sit down and write the story. So I, uh, I, I kind of dial back. I, I, get, I try to be disciplined. So as soon as I get the answer I'm looking for, I go and I write that scene. And then if there's still more holes, I go back and I get some more information. Well, you're an expert on explosive safety and hazardous waste. Uh, how did that come about? And does it figure in the writing? And Oh, oh yeah. And 
why do you hate the word expert? <laughs> well, expert implies knowing everything, and when you're <laughs> in the when you get involved with chemical weapons and hazardous waste and explosives, the guy who thinks he knows everything is the guy who becomes humidity. Uh, there's, oh. it, it, it's it's just a lot that can go wrong if if you start thinking of yourself as an expert in things that can hurt you that badly. I got into it as a very young man. I was um, after I got out of college and uh, realized that nobody would hire me to be Woodward or Bernstein. Uh, I went back I went back to graduate school and got a master's degree in safety engineering. At the same time that I was heavily involved in the fire and rescue service, which kind of led me toward the the safety stuff. And I got a job as the safety manager, or the I guess I was a junior engineer when I started, at a uh, an explosives manufacturing plant. And over the course of eight or nine years, worked my way up through and um, just saw amazing things. And and got uh, it's a fascinating business, just a fascinating business to see how how reactive chemicals can actually be under the right circumstances. So I was on the manufacturing side of the raw materials. I was not a bomb. We didn't assemble the munitions. We made the raw materials that went into munitions. Let's see. I'm, I'm considered an expert on cat pee and dog poops. And someday that's going to explode and I'm going to have a real mess on my hands. So uh, <laughs> um, let's see. Um, something I've, I just have been mining your website. It's a wonderful website, johngilstrup.com. You can find out lots of information there about John's books. But he also has some great essays. And I wanted to ask you, language and violence in novels, do you censor yourself? You know, I do now. I didn't early on, uh, and part of that is because I didn't really understand the marketplace. I spent 15 years in the fire and rescue service, so the language of the firehouse, I can use yeah. the F-bomb <laughs> as every part of speech, <laughs> and, and frequently did, you know, at the time. And in my first book, Nathan's Run, which is a story of a, of a 12-year-old boy who kills a juvenile detention center guard and, and runs away, and there's, there's a big chase and what have you, my bad guys are very profane. And I just got a lot of angry letters from fans that loved the story, loved the character, but they just were very put off by the bad language. And having grown up as I grew up, everybody cussed. And I wasn't aware of this, uh, of how offensive bad language can be to readers. And readers are what pay the bills. And I've, so I've, I've dialed back quite a bit. We, um, not completely. I mean, it's, it's, the, the books are not completely clean, but if I'm going to drop the F-bomb, it really needs to be for a reason and have a payoff, as opposed to in my early books, they were eh, a little more more freely seeded with, with the bad words. And, okay, uh, so writers do evolve in their careers then. It's not just, okay, I'm a thriller writer, this is what I do, it's not going to change. You start out in one place and it may grow from there, as I understand. I guess. I mean, I can't imagine myself writing anything other than thrillers, because that's kind of where my mindset is. You know, if, I, if I set out to write a love letter, there's a gun somewhere, and it just kind of <laughs> appears. I, I, don't, I don't understand how that happens. But I think that styles improve, and I think writing, one of the great things about reading, I think, the, the whole bibliography of an author's work is early books are written in a different part of an author's life than, than are the later books. And I think that if for authors who have turned out dozens of books, you actually can see how their life has changed. You can see as they get older and things get a little darker, or you can see the period, if you happen to know that there was a tragedy in his life around the time of this book, you can see it reflected in the writing. So yeah, I think it's always an evolutionary process. 
Well, I think I see that um, in my own work. I'm a nonfiction author. My earlier books are very dry, kind of uh, research-oriented, and the most recent are much more approachable, even some humor in them, which who knew that I could be funny? But uh, I guess you deal with pets, you do what you have to do. But I think there is an evolution there. And, and also, from what you said, you have to react to the marketplace and what your readers want. Is that something... Do you think you've written both nonfiction and fiction? Is it the same in both? Is it different? I think that a writer who is not aware of his readers is either being either filled with hubris, which is ultimately destructive, or he's just an idiot. I, I, the <laughs> readers are are what this process is all about. I don't write for myself. I mean, I, I write for the voice that I hear and all that kind of stuff. But really, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm writing to fulfill a market and to play to my own strengths. The reason, actually, Six Minutes to Freedom is, is the only work of nonfiction. Uh, and I agreed to do it because the true story actually has a three-act structure. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. There are great personalities involved, and it, the whole nonfiction story played to my strengths, and it actually reads like a novel. So I'm, I'm aware of what I'm, I'm good at as a, as a storyteller, and keenly aware of what I'm not very good at as a storyteller. Okay, well, do you ever worry about giving bad guys ideas with your story? Hey, there could be a Joe Dog bomb here in, in the future. <laughs> yeah, I do a little bit. There's, there's one... Um, I've been struggling with an idea for a plot for some time, and it is a very good terrorist idea, and I find myself taking a step away from it because I don't want to be the one to give them that idea. I think you've got to be careful. I, I think that there's, uh, there are lines that shouldn't be crossed and secrets that shouldn't be revealed. For example, having visited Delta headquarters and, and seen stuff, as I said, that I shouldn't have seen, none of that will ever be in a book because I owe that to the people not to reveal. I can write around it. I can do stuff that's similar. When you know what the reality is, you can make a fake reality that will convince the readers. But I think there's a responsibility in the written word, and that everybody who's involved in writing books needs to be aware of that responsibility. So, do you, do you feel like it's, it's legal then to just flat make crap up? I mean, is it, is it okay to do that, or do you always have to have a little bit of truth, of a, a nugget of truth in there for the reader to buy in? Well, I think you, you can have one without the other. Uh, there's a big fiction on the back of, on the, on the spine of every one of my books, so, um, or all of the fi fiction anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can, if I can pull it off convincingly, if I can make you believe as a reader in technology that may or may not exist, then... There you go. I've, I've done my job. I have no, as a uh, novelist, I have no fealty to reality at all. It's a sleight of hand. Actually, sleight of hand is a really good analogy, I think, because we all kind of know that magicians aren't really magicians, but man, they look like magicians, and we're engaged by it. That's what a novelist is. It's all it's sleight of hand and manipulation and convincing the reader that stuff that isn't true is. Oh, I love that. I love that. But you know, if it's a dog, they're going to know there's a treat in your hand or not. They're always going to know. So uh, kind of to bring it back to the dog, you write brilliantly, if briefly, about Joe Dog in No Mercy. And I hope someday you'll be able to honor her memory with another dog in your life. Meanwhile, where can folks find you on the Internet? Where are your websites? Where can they find your books? Well, the books should be available everywhere. 
certainly Borders and Barnes and Noble and BJ's and most, if not all, Walmarts. Yeah, so it, it's pretty much where more than a few books are sold, you should be able to find <laughs> No Mercy. My website is www.johngillstrap.com, and I'm on a weekly blog, which is killzoneauthors.blogspot.com. I'm on Fridays. Well, thank you so much, John. We are out of time, but I'd like to thank John Gilstrap and the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. I dare you to join me next week for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio for the next installment of What Hisses You Off. Email me suggestions, post a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo woofs and wags until next time and for those who enjoy a thrilling read look for john's latest book joe dog and your own fur kids would wag at the thought and after all we don't want them to get peeved that's it you're madder than a junkyard dog and you're not gonna take it anymore your feathers are ruffled your dander is up and you've got a definite bone to pick Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>